In the chapter we read, the first chapter of the epistle to the Hebrews, we read, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins set down on the right hand of, of the majesty on high. And again in verse 5, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Remember that is not the son in the Trinity. This is the son as Christ. That's also true of Psalm 2. And again, when he bringeth his first begotten into the world, he said to let all the angels of God worship him. And uh, also in the same chapter, Hebrews uh, 6, verse 7, uh, verse 20, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, uh, made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, and so on. Uh, these and other passages of Holy Writ are the basis of our instruction in the Catechism, Lord's Day 12. Uh, why is it called Christ that is anointed? Because he is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption and to our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us and also to be our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in the enjoyment of that salvation he has purchased for us. But why art thou called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus am partaker of his anointing that so I may confess his name and present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and also that with a free and good conscience I may fight against sin and Satan in this life and afterwards reign with him eternally over all creatures. Uh, this is so rich a subject, beloved, uh, that I can only say a few words about it, as you will easily understand. The subject uh, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus 
is the Christ. And that therefore he is able to redeem us completely and save us and lead us on to eternal glory. And therefore I will not have a long introduction uh, but rather immediately plunge into the subject. The subject is uh, Jesus the Christ. And we discuss the meaning and the threefold aspect and the significance for us as expressed in the Heidelberg Catechism. When, beloved, I think of this Lord's Day and I think of this particular subject that Jesus is the Christ. I cannot help but emphasizing to you this morning and to myself that indeed we have a very rich Jesus. What a rich Jesus we have. What a rich Christ we have. A Jesus who represents us as our prophet with God while we are still prophets of the devil and of the lie, Jesus represents us with the Father, before the Father, as our head, as our real true prophet. Also in that sense, he is our prophet and you have to believe in him, beloved, in that sense. You have to look at Jesus as your representative prophet, even while you are still in the midst of the darkness of the lie in the flesh. He is the perfect uh, prophet. He perfectly glorifies the name of God for us. Don't forget that. That belongs to his prophetic office. He perfectly confesses the name of God for you and for me in the first place. That's a great comfort to know what a rich Jesus we have. He, beloved, is the revelation of God and that too of the God of our salvation 
to us as our prophet. He reveals the Father to us according to the Hallelujah so that we may know him. He redeems us so that we have the right to be prophets of God again, beloved. So that too, we have the right to be delivered from darkness, to be delivered from sin, to be delivered from the lie of the devil. He does that all as our prophet. What a rich Jesus we have. He not only redeems us and gives us the right to become prophets of God again, uh, but he also makes us prophets of God again. That's why we are here. That's why we are able to be here as the church of Jesus Christ this morning and sing our psalms and confess his name and hear his word. What a blessing. What a rich Jesus we have. And he leads us on to that everlasting glory where we shall forever be freed from sin and death and walk in the light forevermore. He's our priest. He's our priest with the Father now, beloved. He represents us as our priest. Represents us. While we are still in the flesh, and while we are priests of the devil, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, our head stands before the face of God and represents us as a perfect priest consecrating himself to God for us in our stead evermore. He did so on the cross. On the cross he consecrated himself for us to God for sinners so that we might be redeemed and we are redeemed a priest redeemed us from uh, the corruption of uh, our hateful nature. We hate God by nature. We are not priests of God. We are priests of the devil by nature. And in Christ we have the right, because of redemption, we have the right to become priests of God again. And we know that. We know that this morning. Otherwise we wouldn't be here. What a blessing. And not only that we have the right, but he also gives us by his Holy Spirit and grace the principle of the new priesthood in our hearts so that we really are priests of God again. That too, what a rich Christ we have. And uh, he will redeem us and deliver us forever, forever beloved, until we shall arrive in glory as priests of God before his face, in his tabernacle, in his temple, consecrating him, ourselves to him in perfection. And he's our king. 
that too. Jesus is the Christ. And that Jesus is the Christ, beloved, also means that he is our king. Our king forever. Our king over all things. He represents us as our king before the Father. He stands before the Father forever as our king. As our king servants. Servant of God and king over all things before his face. He stands in our stead. He stands as our representative today in this very moment before our Father. And he also redeemed us so that we have the right to become servant kings of God again. That also. And not only does he redeem us, but he also gives us the royal seed in our hearts by his Holy Spirit so that we actually become kings of God, under God. Seven kings of God forever. What a rich Christ we have, beloved. Jesus the Christ. You know, uh, these two names belong together. Uh, Jesus can only be Jesus because he is the Christ, you know. Otherwise, there are many Jesuses, also in the Old Testament. Jesus was not a particularly unique name. There were many Jesuses in the Old Testament. Even in the New Testament, there were still, Je still Jesuses, as you know. Joshua, in the Old Testament, was not an uncommon name, not only as a type of Christ, but also among the common people, Joshua, was a rather common name. Uh, but uh, uh, Christ was not a common name. There's only one Christ. No one could be called Christ, even in the old dispensation. Only one could be called Christ. Besides, uh, Christ is not a personal name, but an official name as you know. And, beloved, Jesus could not be Jesus unless that Jesus were the Christ. Remember that. Only a Christ Jesus could be Jesus and save his people from their sins. We shall explain that presently. But we must remember that, that only as a Christ, as the anointed of God, could he be Jesus and save us. Now I do not have to take time to read all the passages in Holy Writ that speak of Jesus as the Christ and as the Anointed One. Uh, we have already read uh, part of uh, Psalm 2, 
in Hebrews 11. We have uh, Psalm 45, uh, 6 and 7. Uh, there we read in 6 and 7 of Psalm 45, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter, the scepter of thy kingdom is a righteous scepter, also quoted in Hebrews. And thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. That there speaks of the anointing of the king and the anointing of Christ. Uh, at the same time, uh, Psalm 89, I'll just read a few passages. Uh, there are many passages in the Holy Writ. Psalm 89, I think it's verse uh, 19 and 20. Uh, thou, uh, then thou speakest in vision to uh, thy Holy One, and says, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him. You understand that this David is not David the king, but is the one that was typified by David, the Christ. You also read... In Psalm 110, also quoted in Hebrews, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. You understand, beloved, that the supposition of all these verses is the anointing, the ordination and the enabling of the Son to sit at God's right hand. Uh, in order to sit at God's right hand, the Son must be appointed, do you understand that? And must be also enabled to sit at the right hand of God. And again, the Lord hath sworn and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I can go into that now, but uh, the order of Melchizedek includes the order of Aaron. The order of Aaron was the order of the priesthood that brought bloody sacrifices. The order of Melchizedek, beloved, was the priesthood that included that and included the kingship. According to the order of Melchizedek, Christ was king-priest, or priest-king. Uh, so you have in Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. There is the same servant of the Lord. That's always mentioned in Isaiah. The servant of the Lord 
as a type of Christ or really centrally Christ himself as a prophet and as the one that is anointed as a prophet. And so you have many uh, passages also in the in the uh, New Testament. I will not quote anymore because I have not time. But let's uh, ask, first of all, beloved, uh, what is meant by anointed? What is implied in anointed? Christ is the anointed one. That's the meaning of the name Christ, as you know. Christ is Messiah, Mashiach in the Old Testament, and Messiah in the Old Testament is the same as Christ in the New Testament, and both those names, Messiah and Christ, mean anointed. So the question is, what is meant by anointed? The symbol of anointing, as you know, consisted of uh, oil, holy oil, uh, sacred oil, poured out upon the head of the one that was anointed. But the meaning, beloved, was that he that was so anointed received from God an office. An office. He became an office bearer. Now, an office is not the same as a job. One that uh, builds your house or repairs your house as a job. Uh, but a policeman has an office. A policeman is functioning in a representative place, functioning for some other authority, higher authority. And that is always an office. An office is always, beloved, a position in which one functions under someone else as his representative with authority to represent him. That is really an offer. And Christ, by his anointing, was put into office. He was not anointed literally. Oil was not poured out upon him. But the realization of the type of anointing was Christ. Christ was really anointed. Anointed by the Spirit. And when Christ was so anointed, beloved, he was ordained and qualified for his office. His office was 
to put it briefly and in general, his office was to be Jesus. That was his office. Jesus as the servant of Jehovah. That was his office. But he may not be Jesus. He cannot be Jesus. He will not be Jesus. And he must not be Jesus unless he is anointed to be Jesus. He must be ordained. An ordination, ordination is divine appointment. And divine appointment means two things, beloved. What I call the may and the must. Of being Jesus. That he was anointed means that he had the right to be Jesus. He may be Jesus. And it also meant that he had the official obligation to be Jesus. He must be Jesus. Without the ordination, that was absolutely impossible. Uh, by ordaining him, uh, God gave him the right and the duty, the obligation to become man. Otherwise, you would never have had that uh, privilege and calling. Uh, he had the right and the calling to reveal God, to be to be the revelation of the God of our salvation. That was all in the in the anointing as ordination. He had the right to die, beloved. And the right to, to die for his people, whom God had given him. No one has the right to die by himself. The right to die. No one can die of himself. He may think so, but he can't. Not even the sinner. He cannot die of himself. And Christ could not die, beloved. Christ might not die. He did not have the right to die unless God gave him that right to die. 
that was in his anointing. He was anointed to die. He was anointed. He was ordained to give up his life for his people. Whom the Father had given him. All belonged to his office. Or the nation. Had the right. He had the right so to die that he lived in the resurrection that belonged to his ordination. The right and the obligation to die and to live and to reveal life from the dead which is something new. That was Christ's obligation belongs to Christ's office, beloved, to bring life from the dead, which is something new, which is a glorious life, the life of the resurrection. So it belongs to the ordination that Christ may and must sit at the right hand of God. God ordained him to sit at the right hand of God. Otherwise, he could never sit there. As a rule over all things in heaven and on earth. That's Christ. But that's not all. Uh, Christ does not only mean, beloved, the name Christ does not mean only uh, that he was ordained, that, they, that he was appointed to be Jesus, uh, that, he, uh, that he therefore had the right to be Jesus and the obligation, the calling to be Jesus, uh, but he also was enabled to be Jesus. Enabled. Oh, Jesus must be filled with wisdom and power and knowledge of God as no one else. And that ability, the can, as well as the may and the must, and the will, as well as the may and the must, is included in the anointing. Anointing means, beloved, that one is ordained, that one has the calling and the privilege, and that one has the ability and the will to be the servant of God. That's what Christ did, that's what Christ received in his anointing. All to be Jesus, all to be the Savior of his people. To lead his people on to everlasting glory. I say once more, what a rich Jesus we have. What a rich Christ we have, beloved. What a rich Christ we have. And, of course, that anointing took place, uh, not according to the divine nature, but according to the human nature of Christ. The divine nature cannot be anointed. The divine... The person of the Son of God is always the subject 
of the anointing, never the object. Uh, but he was anointed as the servant of the Lord, the son of God in human nature. That was the object of the anointing. Christ Jesus was the subject, uh, the object of the anointing of God. Uh, God anointed him from before the foundation of the world in, in his everlasting decree when God gave his people to Christ and when Christ was appointed the head of his people, uh, then Christ already ordained him to be the Christ, to be Jesus for his people. And at time, he enabled him and ordained him uh, by his Holy Spirit to function in that office to the very end in the world and to function in that office even now and to function in that office to the end. Now, that office of Jesus Christ, beloved, has a threefold aspect. I like to put it that way. There are not three offices of Christ. You know, you know, you've learned that the catechism of the offices of prophet, priest, and king, you know that. But those offices, beloved, those three offices are not separated, cannot be separated. They are really one office. And that one office may be expressed by the term servant king. That's one of Christ is the servant king of God for his people. Servant king. And that servant kingship has three aspects according as man's nature has three aspects. And therefore, to understand this uh, aspect of the offices of Christ, in the most simple way, we must uh, probably begin uh, by Adam in paradise. Adam was office there of God, as you know. Adam was servant, servant of God, servant king. God gave him dominion as a servant. We know that from Genesis 1 already. And as such, beloved, also the office of Adam had three aspects. He knew God because God had endowed him with a mind to know him. With his mind, he knew God, and with his mind, he was prophet. He knew God in love, in the state of righteousness. He knew God in love, and in love he became 
the prophet of God so that he not only knew him but confessed him and before all the world glorified him. That was Adam's calling as prophet. Adam was priest. That was the other aspect of his office as servant king. He was servant of God and to that servant king office belonged the aspect of his priesthood. As priest, he was office bearer in the sense that he was entirely consecrated to God with all his heart and mind. He loved God, beloved. He loved God. He loved God and he willed God. Loved him. Stood before his face. Consecrated himself. His being, his mind, his will, his body, his strength, and all the things of the world to God. As priest, he sacrificed himself. And sacrificed the whole creation in love to God. That was Adam's calling as priest. And he was king. That was the third aspect also of Adam was of his being office bearer. God gave him dominion over all things, over all things earthy. To all the beasts of the field, the trees of the field, uh, over all things earthy, God gave him uh, dominion so that he stood as servant king before God in love to God so that he consecrated as priest the whole world as king to God. But he fell. He fell exactly as such. He fell as office bearer, beloved. Don't forget that. He fell as servant king of God. Did not, he did not lose his mind, he did not lose his will, he did not lose his heart, he did not lose his power, but he was servant king of God no more. He fell. He became a rebel. And in his fall, as prophet, he became the prophet of the devil. He loved the lie. That's still the case with man. Man by nature loves the lie. The lie. As priest, he became priest of the devil. He consecrated himself to corruption. As king, he became rebel and became king of, of the devil, under the devil, beloved. Indeed, as I said last week, the devil could say, I am thy ruler. You must obey me. Not because the devil has any power, of course not. The devil has no power. But nevertheless, man was in subjection to the devil because God had put him in subjection to the devil because of sin and guilt. Well, that was, that was Adam in his threefold aspect as office bearer into falling into sin, beloved. And now, 
God had ordained before the foundation of the world another office bearer. The firstborn of every creature, the first begotten of the dead, that was Christ. The Son of God, a human nature. He became office bearer in our stead, in the stead, in the place of the elect. Because without election there can be no Christ, beloved. You understand that, don't you? Without election there is no Christ. Without election there is no representation. It, if Christ represent, represents all men, all right then he is prophet, priest, and king of all men. Of course he is. Don't you see? That can never, that can never be uh, uh, by our determination. We cannot appoint Christ for us. We won't anyway, but we can't either. If Christ is the prophet of all men, and the priest of all men, and the king of all men, all right, then they're all saved. Don't have to worry about that. And everybody's saved. Don't have to worry about it. And even have to think about it. It stands to reason. Christ is Christ. And Christ stands in his representative, representative office before God for those whom God has given him as his head, beloved. Well, if Christ is the head of all, then all are saved. That can never depend upon the will of man. It's all God. Salvation is God, not ours. All right. But Christ did not come for all. It did not, does not represent all. It does not save all. He saves his people. He's the prophet, priest, and king of those the Father gave him. I say once more, what a wonderful Christ is. Jesus, the Christ. The anointed Savior, Jehovah, salvation, appointed and ordained and enabled and sanctified by God to be the Savior for his people. What a blessing. Christ is our prophet, beloved. As the catechism has it here, he is our prophet to reveal to us the secret counsel of God unto our salvation. That's what he did. He is 
prophet in his whole being. He is prophet in his whole manifestation. In his whole manifestation. In all his word. In all his work. In his very appearance. He revealed the Father to us. The secret counsel of God unto our salvation is revealed by Jesus. That's what we have in the scripture. That's why we find the scripture so, so precious, beloved. So precious. And not only reveal the Father to us, but also represents us as prophets and makes us prophets of God again by his grace and spirit, delivering us from guilt and delivering us from the power of the lie. Therefore he is our priest. As priest, beloved, as priest, he loves God. As priest, he loves his people. As priest, he sacrificed himself in behalf of his people, as you know, for uh, before God. As priest, he merited for us all the blessings of salvation. He merited for us that we may again become prophets, priests, and kings of God. He's king. King priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He fights. He fights the battle against Satan and the devil, uh, the devil and sin and corruption in us until he has completely overcome and we are delivered from the power of the devil and from the power of sin and corruption and dwell in eternal victory and eternal glory. That's Christ. Christ Jesus. What a precious name that is, beloved. The anointed Jesus. You belong to him, beloved? Why are you called a Christian? That's what the catechism asks in that uh, last question and answer of this Lord's Day. Why are you called a Christian? Singular. Personal. Why art thou called a Christian? But your answer, beloved. In general, it is very easy. In general, you can simply answer, we are called Christians only because we are members of Christ. And because as members of Christ 
we partake of his anointing. That's why we are called Christians. That's the truth. We partake, beloved, of Christ's anointing. That simply means uh, that Christ, by his Holy Spirit, works in us, lives in us, operates within us. As prophet, as priest, as king, he operates within us. And he operates through us. We are not called Christians because we do something for Christ. That is not why we are called Christians, beloved. That's not true. We do not do something for Christ. We don't anyway. We can't. Oh no. But we are called Christians because we partake of his anointing. That is, because Christ, by his Spirit, so works in our hearts and minds that in principle we are again prophets, priests, and kings of God. And not only that, but by that grace, Christ continues to work in us constantly and he works through us. When Christ works his anointing through us, then we reveal ourselves as Christians. Then we speak because Christ speaks through us, beloved. Oh, we speak, all right. We, we speak. Christ does speak. We speak. But nevertheless, principally, Christ speaks through us. Then we think because Christ thinks through us. Then we are a Christian. Then we love. We love God because Christ loves through us. We are partakers of his anointing. Then we act because Christ acts through us. Then we fight because Christ fights through us. We are partakers of his anointing because Christ, by his Holy Spirit, causes us to partake of that anointing and works constantly in us and through us so that we become revealed as Christians. That's true, beloved. That's, that's the truth. Apart from this, there is no Christianity. There is. Apart from Christ, there is no Christianity. Apart from the anointing of Christ, there is no Christianity. Apart from the operation of Christ, in his people, there is no Christianity. It is all of Christ, not of us.
We are privileged to be instrumental as Christians in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, we are active, yes, active, but we are active only because Christ makes us active in the right direction. That's Christianity. That's Christianity, beloved. Oh, that's true enough. But let me ask once more. Why art thou called a Christian? Is that true? If that is that true of thee, of thee, Mr. and Mrs., brother and sister, uh, individually, is that true of you? Is it true? Is it true of thee? That thou becomest revealed as a prophet everywhere here in church when you sing, when you listen to the word of God, you act as prophets of God. But also in your home in the street in your work Art thou called a Christian because in your shop Christ reveals himself so that you speak as prophet? So that you act as priest? So that you reveal yourself as king under God fighting the good fight against sin and corruption? Is it true in, in our school? When you send your children, when you send your children to uh, your school, do you do that as prophet, priest, and king? Not uh, just as a matter of habit, but is that your motive and your purpose, beloved? Do the, do the teachers in the school do that from the same motive and purpose? You teachers that are with us this morning, are you prophet in the school, priest and king, when you teach our children that the purpose Otherwise, it's no good. Otherwise, it's no good, beloved. No good for you and no good for the children, no good for anything. Are you a prophet, priest, and king in all your life and walk, antithetically, so that you fight the good fight against sin within and sin without and sin in the world until you will finally have the victory in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I know. Here it is also always so imperfect, isn't it? Always so imperfect. I can nicely talk about that and nicely preach about that, beloved. That's very nice. But when I ask myself, do you do that? Then I say with shame face, beloved, before the Lord, 
Oh Lord, I'm a sinful man. Give me grace by thy Holy Spirit to fight the good fight as prophet, priest, and king, even unto the end. Amen. We thank thee, Lord, for thy word and thy truth and thy testimony. Forgive our sins. Sanctify thy word unto our hearts that we may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.